Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block. Today, I, Steve, am back. Unfortunately, we are missing Jody. The show is being recorded live and will be available within a few hours as a podcast. Please share your thoughts and feedback on this show at our email address, which is ejsshow at protonmail.com. Hi, Ed. Hi, Mike. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hi, Steve. Hi, Mike. Okay, All so right. as always, no shortage of stuff going on in the world to comment on. We're going to have our New Jersey correspondent tell us what's going on <laughs> in his neck of the woods. Well, we had a, a fun little story break in New Jersey from Project Veritas a couple of days ago. Apparently, my friend James O'Keefe infiltrated the uh, Phil Murphy for governor campaign, got a couple of their high-level staffers on, on video talking about how the governor plans to issue a mandate, a vaccine mandate, after uh, any potential re-election uh, next week. And obviously, they're covering up that fact. They don't want that to get out there because they're afraid that it will turn independence against them and obviously potentially cost him the election. So not, not shocking. Uh, you know, James O'Keefe, God bless him. The guy has more guts than a lot of people out there. And, uh, you know, they, they got the, the Phil Murphy campaign caught red-handed. Uh, they went to, to try to talk to the governor, I think, yesterday, and he avoided all the questions. But it's pretty, pretty safe to say that uh, the governor of New Jersey is ready to go full totalitarian if he's reelected and force the jabs on everybody. I think the curious thing about it, though, is I think most of his constituents, most Democrats in New Jersey, agree with that and are for that. And yep. I mean, while the Republicans probably a lot of them aren't, I, I think that there's enough Republicans and enough uh, unaffiliated that he would still win and win handedly. I, I, I'm really surprised that he feels the need to hide this and almost hand the other side an issue. I mean, you know, there's the old saying that the cover-up can be worse than the crime. I mean, I'm not sure that's the case here because the crime is actually pretty awful. Like you said, it's totalitarianism. But I, I, I think that the people in New Jersey actually want it. And yeah. I'm, I'm really, I still haven't figured out why I think that he feels the need to hide it. Well, maybe they are really uh, worried about the independence. I mean, I don't know what the internal polling is. I, I certainly wouldn't be out there placing bets on him winning. I don't, I don't expect it at all. But uh, on there is a great on on Murphy winning. Or oh, I'm sorry, maybe, you know, on, I'll take on, that bet. I, I, no, no, no. I'm saying I, I, my, I, I'm saying I believe Murphy will win. Sorry. Oh. Um. So, but uh, you know, again, I, I don't know what they're looking at internally. I mean, there is a pretty strong uh, independent. Uh, you know, a group of voters in New Jersey. So, and I think it's the MO of, of progressives and leftists to hide their true intentions more often than not. I think, you know, they may be, you know, not pulling punches as much as they used to, <laughs> but when they're on the cusp of an election, wh why would you bother coming out and saying what you're really planning to do? Because that's what an election is about. I mean, but they're not, they're never honest. Ed. I mean, well, look at it like this. They're usually not honest. Look at it like this. If he comes out and <laughs> says it, and then they vote for him anyway, then he's got a mandate. 
right? No then he deals with he deals with heat for the next, <laughs> you know, he deals with heat for seven days of the the final seven days of the campaign, and then as soon as he gets elected, he says, "See, this is what the people want. Now the people are going to get what they want." You know, just like mm-hmm. H.L. Mencken said, right? You know, people should get what they want and get it good and hard. Yeah. No, you may have a point. And the other thing that we had talked about, too, is the fact that we have a Republican candidate, a Republican candidate who doesn't doesn't seem to care about making any hay out of this. I mean, he's been served up a, a big hanging curveball and he doesn't want to knock it out of the park. There should have been an ad out already. Uh, you know, again, we well, talked what about happened the top over, line. Look at what happened over the summer. We had that viral video of the little toddler screaming and crying. Yeah. When the when the daycare people were trying to put the mask on her face and and she and they kept putting it on her face and the little girl kept tearing it off and crying and saying, no, I don't want it. Yeah. The Republicans didn't say anything. I mean, and, and it didn't lead to a groundswell of opposition, you know, from the unaffiliated or, or the Democrats. I mean, it just seems to me that this wouldn't be a, a problem. I mean, I think he's creating a problem by by hiding it. You know, now now if he wins for the next, you know, two years or to the next you know midterm election or for four years, he's going to you know, the Republicans are going to say, well, you know, he lied about it. He hid it. He didn't tell the voters. Right. Which is such a nonsense claim. And it, I mean, now that I'm saying it out loud, it almost seems like it's part of the controlled opposition. Right. I mean, it's almost like it's part of the game that that the Democrats and Republicans are playing. Mm-hmm. You know, to distract us while they just pull the you know pull it over on us. Yeah, I tend to agree with the latter as much as anything from this discussion. Um, and it just occurs to me, I'm not following the New Jersey race, but does it ever seem that Republicans really want to win an office, or do we just run squishes like McCain well, and Romneys and and everything else? Listen, Jack Chitterelli is your typical establishment Republican candidate, and I think. The only thing that he may have going for him right now is what is happening in the schools with the kids and the mask and everything like that. Um, I mean, he, he just doesn't put up the fight that you want to see, especially given what we've experienced for the last year and a half. I mean, New Jersey is still under emergency rule. The governor can do whatever the heck he wants. All right. And, you know, Jack Chitterelli just doesn't seem to know how to make that case for liberty and freedom that we'd like to see. But again, he's got an issue here that's been totally served up to him and he's really doing nothing with it. All he did was put out a press release. So what's the status in the New Jersey schools? Masks are mandatory? Yeah. Okay, and what about during lunch? I'm sorry? What about during lunch? I don't know. I mean, listen, I got kids in the public school. I mean, they're, they're supposed to wear the masks. You're, you know, you're laughing, but I don't know if you saw the story Elliot shared yesterday that in yeah. Toronto, they're telling students not to talk during lunch. Uh, I mean, are we shocked by anything at this point? No. Oh, so that's why I asked. What about lunch? Can they actually I... lunch with their mouths open the whole time and even, you know, converse with other people? I don't know. No, they... but they're not forcing vaccinations on school kids yet. Well, I mean, we're on the cusp of all this, right? I mean, we had the, um, the Pfizer vaccine for kids being approved for emergency use. So we're, we're, we're this close to, I think, real 
serious did you, see the, did you see that approval with the Nancy Pelosi? Like we need to, to pass the bill to find out what's in it. You know, we need to give it to the kids to find out if they'll be safe. Yeah. Um, that yeah. That said? Huh? Is that what it said? That's what they said. Yeah. Well, we don't know. So we got to, we got to give it to the kids and see if, see what will happen. Uh, they uh, have pretty much admitted it that it, they don't know about transmission, right? That doesn't stop transmission. And uh, I, I think there was one of the persons who voted for it basically did it despite his conscience telling him no, right? That it really wasn't necessary for kids. So the fix is in, and I don't think it's about follow the science at this point. It's about follow the money. Well, or, and you know what? Control. I mean, Republicans, if, they're, if they have half a brain in their head, and I know that that's debatable, <laughs> they can turn this into a, a crusade to just abolish the FDA. I mean, Trump went like a, a quarter of the way when he pushed right to try laws. This politicization of, of the FDA is so outrageous and so obvious to anybody who's honest that a good Republican candidate should make this an issue going forward. Um, and, and I mean, not just this. I mean, we can you know, we're, we're always talking about, you know, rolling back the welfare state and the regulatory state. This is a perfect launching point for it. Because it's obvious, like you said, that these are just business decisions for Pfizer. Right. But like That's we just said, there are no Republicans who really care. And there are no Republicans who will really fight this issue. These are softballs being lobbed at them and nobody picks up on them. Now, people were saying a few months ago that if they ever mandate the vaccine for children in schools, that will be the line that's going to bring on the revolution, so to speak. And that's why I asked about it today. Or will we just lay down like sheep like we've been doing for so long? I, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think you're going to see parents flipping out. And doing what? Pulling their kids out of the school, doing whatever it takes to prevent their kids from getting the jab. Right. So in New Jersey, what's the punishment for not sending your kid to school? Honestly, I don't know off the top of my head. Well, there's no punishment if you homeschool them. That's what's going to happen. I mean, you need approval for homeschool, and that's different in uh, every state. No, but I mean, under the Wisconsin versus Yoder, they can't deny you the right to homeschool your kid. But they can make it very hard, right? I mean, they can't discriminate against you. I mean, it's, you know. So aren't I correct? You have to comply with the education requirements of the state. But what were you saying, Steve? So, I mean, and, and some states make that very difficult. Some states, you got to fill out lots of forms. You got to take lots of tests. Some states are just at the end of the year, tell us you taught your kids something. But I think in some states, that's very, very difficult to do. Well, I think all the states require you to, to pass all the statewide exams that the public schools have to take. To my knowledge, not in New Hampshire. We can check again with Elliot, but to my knowledge, it's much, much looser than that in New Hampshire. But I mean, there, there definitely is a um, push away from public schools. Supposedly it's down, I don't know, 5%, 10%, then maybe a year or two ago. But it will be interesting to see with all this push against parents, which gets obviously into that story, you know, the parents protesting being domestic terrorists, except for they weren't domestic terrorists, except for the whole thing was a farce and a thing between the White House and those boards and then the state boards are quitting the national boards. But- did you see Ted Cruz's uh, skewering of Merrick Garland this morning on that issue? 
No, he did not. Tell us. Oh, he just hammered him. I mean, Garland, it, he, Garland admitted that he didn't have any examples of actual violence that these people had engaged in. Uh, Cruz said that your memo mentions a Nazi salute. Uh, isn't a Nazi salute protected under the First Amendment? And Ooh. Garland said, yes, it is. Um, I'll send you a link. Uh, Cruz just, it, it, I got the first seven minutes and 14 seconds and Cruz just annihilated him and made him uh, very defensive about, about the domestic terrorist memo. Yeah. You know, uh, they used to say the most uncomfortable place is between Schumer and a mic. <laughs> I'm starting to wonder if it's being questioned by Cruz. I've seen him question some other people lately and he is absolutely brutal. My question though is, do they care? Like, does this get to them or do they just say, this is some crap we got to go through like a colonoscopy. And once we're out of this room, it won't matter anyway. Who's they? You mean the parents or? No, no, the, the people Cruz is skewering, which he's done oh. a lot of lately and a really good job of lately. I mean, ripping people to shreds, but does it ever change anything? Well, I think the real question is, is Ted going to do anything more than talk? Right, what can he do? Well, talking is more than mo most of them do, so that that's at least something. <laughs> well, he can, you know, he can call Elliot and try and lead the revolution. I mean, I think those are your only choices because senators pretty much don't do anything. Well, I mean, they can still they can still be the moral voice, and you know, he can still. I mean, even just look at the the gubernatorial primary that's coming up in Texas. He can he can take a stand for for you know Huffines or even Alan West, and and say that Alan that uh, Abbott has not been a, a an effective force. He can talk about he can go down to the border and he can you know he can call for for Texas to take care of its border. Um, there are things that he could do. I mean, I admit if you're not the executive, then you're limited, but that doesn't mean that all you can do is talk. Well, yes, I kind of always wonder about this, you know, in the final analysis, what can a senator do? Does the senator's endorsement of a candidate matter to anybody? I don't think so. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think endorsements generally are all that big of a deal, but I mean, heck, he, he could he could have just chosen to run for governor for that matter. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's not too late. He wants to be in Washington. Uh, I'm sure Bernie Sanders coming in for Phil Murphy is going to tip the scale. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so you know, it's great to watch Cruz. I think Cruz is probably most effective as a lawyer. But again, does that change anything? Who knows? You know, um, I assume you guys heard that Daniel Miller of Texas fame is running for lieutenant governor. Yes. Which. Not quite sure what that means yet and how I feel about it yet, but interesting. Um, yeah, what was I gonna say before we got off on the Cruz issue? Yeah. All right, so you were talking about Cruz skewering Garland. Sorry. No, that's fine. I just lost my track. <laughs> I, I, I railroaded you there, sorry. You put me back on track. Well, I'm not sure what track you were on, but I, I wanted to share one quote from one article on the FDA approval of the, the Pfizer vaccine for kids. And this is somebody who I believe voted for it. He said, I'm just worried that if we say yes, then the states are going to mandate administration of this vaccine for children. 
to go to school. And I, I do not agree with that. <laughs> this is somebody who voted for it, right? He thinks it would be an error, he said. Quote from an article. So that's why I say I, I think just the fix is in um, when it comes to all these people who are supposed to be of science. We're really yeah. just do, doing the bidding of government and pharmaceutical companies and don't have the stones to say no when they know they should be. So the headline on hotair.com from two days ago was New York Times, FDA CDC advisors pressured into okaying general population boosters and goes on to say that all these great scientists telling us what to do, this not in the case of children here, in the case of third and fourth shots is because of pressure. But you, you know, it's always what the left does. They pressure a group and then they quote that group to prove that what they're saying is right. I don't want to get too much into LGBT, but that's obviously what they did with that. They pressure the mm -hmm. APA and they say, see, even the APA says it. And then they pressure journals not to publish anything against it. And they say, see, no journal will publish anything against it. So if you get these guys in the CDC and FDA to approve something, it doesn't matter how you do it. Once you got it, that's your proof. So yeah, are we following science? Don't think so. No, and, and like I said, I think that any honest observer can see that now. And it's up to, it's up to the opposition, if there's a real opposition, to make that case and, and make wow. the case against the FDA in general. But I mean, let's state the obvious that we already know, right? That kids are not in danger, generally speaking, from COVID. There's probably more risk involved with them getting these shots than not getting the shot, okay? I mean, I think you could probably, it's only maybe a few hundred kids in single digits that have actually died I don't even want to say from COVID, they Every probably had, one they of probably had, comorbidity. had a comorbidity. So most normal, healthy children, five years old, six years old, seven years old, are not in danger from this. And the so-called vaccines are probably uh, most, I would say even definitely more well, of a danger to them because of the periocarditis, the myocarditis risk that they're facing at a minimum at a minimum. And we don't know what other kinds of side effects could happen short term and long term. So how far is this issue from the parallel issue of parents have no right to tell the government how to educate their children? In both cases, it's the state saying, we own your children and mm -hmm. don't get mixed in. So one is more their bodies, one is more their brains or their souls. But it's this, it's almost this overt communist thing of your children belong to us. And, you know, with the Washington Post article that doubled down on that, like, don't you dare think that you have any say in how your children are educated. And once again, the polarization maybe is good because we get to see what the enemy really thinks, except for nobody ever picks up the ball and fights it. Now in Virginia, I think they are fighting over this and maybe that's helping. What's his name? Young, young King? What's his name? Yeah, Youngkin is is actually an awful Republican. He's a he's, uh a hair better than Chitarelli in New Jersey, but to his credit, he has taken this issue and taken it head on. And to me, it's, it's, a, it's, to me, it's an imperative that he win now because that's the issue in the, in the Virginia governor's race, who owns your children, you or the, or the public schools. And, you know, Youngkin has to his credit said parents own their kids. Parents get to decide what, how they, how their kids get educated. 
Now, is, and, is he making strong ads basically saying that who owns your children? Um, I haven't looked at his ads, but I have looked at uh, the statements that are coming from his campaign. And he, he is making that his issue. I mean, God forbid, if he loses running on that issue, then what you spoke about 10 minutes ago, the mandate that um, McCulloch can claim he has is just unbelievably scary. Because he can huh. say, now you guys approve of me taking your children. But you know what? I mean, I certainly don't want that to happen. But if that happens, it'll be a wake up call to the rest of us that this has got to stop. And if it doesn't stop, it's going to come to your state next. Well, we still have to worry about fraud. Yes, we still have to worry about fraud. And I'm, you probably saw the story that these couple of Maryland counties want to move to West Virginia. I saw that. I, you know, I, I just think that if a McCulloch were to win on this issue, I think you're going to see more and more counties making noise. Is it likely it'll happen? Very unlikely. But again, the more they push and the more they polarize, what choice does somebody have who lives in Western Maryland or what choice does someone have who lives in a part of Virginia not controlled by the Washington area? I mean, you're going to get desperate at a certain point. So it's either revolution, God forbid, or try to break off somehow. Or move. <sighs> or move. And how, much, how much room does Florida have for all of us? <laughs> so Alabama, the governor there apparently gruesome, even though I think it's a, uh, I can't, I can't talk about gender. So I'll just pretend I didn't say anything about gender. Well, but just remember that, that gruesome has more than one meaning. <laughs> so, um, you know, coming out very strongly against listening to federal mandates and saying our state is going to protect you against that or don't listen to the federal mandates. So I don't know, is that the choice? And how easy is it for people to move? Uh, Maybe that is an answer. I don't know. I don't know how willing it seems to, to me that moving to a safer state is less risky than rising up, you know, taking up arms against the government. OK, so basically the, the geographical cure that we kind of filter ourselves into um, the states that we most agree with, which is actually what Bongino has been screaming about. He doesn't want to say secession. He talks about national divorce a lot. And he also says just go to the few states that are still decent and strengthen them. Again, I don't know how many people will do that, but if Virginia loses this issue, I mean, I've lived in Israel and I've seen the kibbutz where literally, and I don't know if it still works that way, but for sure 45 years ago, the kibbutz owned your children. You gave birth and they were taken care of in the kibbutz nursery and they were fed in the kibbutz dining room and they went to school in the kibbutz school. And for most practical purposes, they really weren't yours. And that was the way socialism was designed. We're getting awful, awful close and they're being awful uh, upfront about it. Yes, they are. So I, it's gonna be really interesting. And the election I believe is Tuesday, correct? In New Jersey and then Virginia, right? Uh, unless, yes. they keep, unless they keep counting for days afterward, but yeah, supposedly. Well, you got a you got an election in New York City too, right? How's Curtis Sliwa looking? Um, well, if I vote, I'm sure he'll get one vote. I, I'm not following polls. I can't imagine that he has a prayer in the world. I think you know, will he lose by forty percent or fifty percent? Would be my guess. I will vote, but I, I can't imagine 
he's going to have much backing, unfortunately. But again, I don't believe in wasting effort on anything in New York because I don't think it's salvageable. Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't seem like he has a chance based on the way things are going. I'd be absolutely shocked. Part, part of that is just gut instinct, but I don't think he's run a very good campaign either. Is he on the airwaves? Is he making commercials? I see him on Facebook. So I don't know. It's in my neighborhood, but my neighborhood has some Republicans. You know, he mu- he must be on, on the on the air on the radio. I just haven't really listened to the radio. What about that? Really. What about that protest that shut down the Brooklyn Bridge yesterday or the day before? Which is really interesting. So you can get that was, I believe, police fire and other First response. Yeah, I think so. First responders. Right. So in a city of eight million, you are going to get several thousand people up in arms and really upset. But will that make any difference in the vote of the city? I'd be shocked. Unfortunately, like we're saying about the other places, I think New York would rather have, you know, a leftist totalitarian leadership. And they're not nearly um, close to fighting against that and trying to put a different kind of administration in. I'd be absolutely shocked. And I get, you know, a lot of New Yorkers yeah. have moved out too with all this COVID stuff. Well, well, it's uh, interesting too that apparently New York has a growing rat problem. And, uh, you know, we're all caught up in the pandemic with COVID, but uh, the next pandemic could be looming from, from the, the rat problem in, uh, in New York and their, their urine. Yeah, I'm, am I mistaken? I think Chicago uh, won again this year. I thought I saw a story that Chicago's number one in rats. We don't have Jody here, but I think I saw that. I, I, I don't know, but uh, hate to be so graphic, but uh, obviously these are animals that carry disease and Lord only knows what could come next. It's really not a joke in any sense. I want to talk about Fauci for a minute because you may not know it, but I'm sometimes a bit cynical. Is Fauci's downfall going to be that he tortured dogs, not that he may have killed hundreds of thousands of people? I don't know, but I I said to you many, many months ago that the thing that's going to wake people up is something that you're not expecting. It's it's going to be some cultural kind of event. I don't know if I mean, it could be the dogs, it could be the the experiments on monkeys. I don't think it's I don't think that's going to be his downfall. I, I really don't see a downfall for him. Uh, if he's about to get a downfall, he's going to retire. And, you know, he's close enough to moving on to the next life that I don't think that uh, he'll retire for very long. Was that one of the experiments that um, Candace Owens was talking about? I think she was re- reading through everything that he funded. Yeah, where, where they uh, they put some acid on the monkey's brains to okay, prevent right. them from feeling uh, fear, uh, to increase the amount of fear they felt mm. when uh, spiders and other things were put at them. And lovely, you know, why, why would that, why would that research be useful? I mean, other than you want to know how humans are going to react when, if you could do that to them and increase the amount of fear that they have. Right. I mean, it just reminded me of, if you've read 1984, you know, the whole Room 101, I mean, that's what it sounded like to me. Like he's, you know, preparing Room 101 for mm-hmm. all of us dissidents. And like uh, the fleas that ate the dog's heads or something. Wasn't that the experiment? Oh, yes. I mean. Another one. You know, Ed, you're, you're really giving me the chills with that statement. 
Because that, even to my cynical mind, that didn't occur. Really? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm not even that cynical. It reminds me a little bit more, almost in Atlas Shrugged with that great weapon that they designed. Yeah. Project X. Yeah, I would really hope to God that that's not why they're studying this. Although, who knows? I, I being a, you know, a believer, so to speak, in God, I have trouble with we're more upset about the dogs than the humans. Yet, it takes things like this for PETA and other leftist groups to say, okay, that we're not going to allow. We don't care if he kills 5 million people, but we're not going to allow him to torture dogs. And that upsets me. It upsets me too, but I mean, and anything way, that takes him down is, is Jewish law. Torture. It's a violation of Jewish law to cause pain to animals on purpose. And um, even for testing is very debatable, but you know, you said what use is there from the experiments? I, I would assume you agree that even if Mendela's experiments had use, they're still, you still can't do them. So even if they gain something to torture animals, and I'm not one of these guys who wants to burn down laboratories to test perfume on animals, because I don't know if they really hurt them that badly, but this, this stuff is, who even thinks of this stuff? That's why I thought of Room 101. No, and I think you're right. I'm like, how do you even design, and how do you design such an experiment and write up the grand proposal that I have this really cool idea, we're going to stick dogs' heads in chambers and have them, I mean, really? Maybe they write it in Latin or something? It's mind-boggling. Now, is Dashak ever going to have to answer? Are they going to throw him under the bus? Is it going to matter? And by the way, he could just, you know, turn against everybody he was working for, can't he? So will it ever make a difference? I mean, it's not going to make a difference as long as you've got Democrats in the White House and Democrats controlling Congress and Democrats controlling the FBI and the Department of Justice. Um, it's not going to it's not a guarantee that putting Republicans in charge of those branches of government will lead to change. But it is a guarantee that as long as Democrats run it, all their people are going to skate scot-free, period, end of story. But Washington Post, which is calling for Daszak to, quote, answer questions, but you're saying it doesn't matter because Congress isn't going to ask him hard questions, and even if they do, it makes no difference. Can you just uh, clue me in a little bit more on Daszak and for the audience? Because I'm not sure if I... Daszak is the guy who owns Echo Health Alliance that apparently got tons and tons of Fauci's money and he's like the go-between between Fauci and the Wuhan lab, et cetera, and a lot of these experiments. Okay. Right. And I'm correct on that pretty much? Yes. And, and they got him. I mean, a lot, a lot of the paperwork has his name on it. So the question is, will they make him into a scapegoat? Would it matter? Are they afraid because he would then turn on his people? But would that matter? Like you say, Fauci's an old guy. And at the very worst, I guess they'd retire him and give him a full pension. It's not like he's in the military and refuse a vaccine or anything like that. So they're not going to punish him, I guess. Well, if they really want to punish him, they'll sick Hillary on him. Ouch. Arkansas him. You really are talking about Room 101. Maybe they can use him in the next experiment. <laughs> Ouch. Okay, we're, we're just being mean to you. <laughs> um, well, you know, I mean, that you were just being mean to him. That, that brings to mind the article that Kurt Schlichter wrote this week 
about the Alec Baldwin situation and whether we should be mean to our enemies or not. And yes, I mean, the only thing that works on them, if anything works at all, is is mockery and 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 just being spiteful and nasty to them because you know I saw an article not from Schlichter I, I saw from somebody else I thought it was from um, Newsbusters or something so I didn't see his that was also talking about is there any reason we should be nice so I, I, that really is a global question and and it is interesting so you're saying okay. there's no reason to be nice to these people and go after them no they don't give us the benefit of the doubt they don't look at us you know as, as Schlichter's article said. You know, it's never it, it's never happened that we went nice on them and they said, oh, look at that MAGA, that MAGA mom or that MAGA dad. And they were so nice to me and they're not nearly as bad as I thought they were. Maybe I should ease up on them. No, they respond to niceness as as, as if it's a, a cue to be even nastier and to go for the kill. So, you know, yes, we might like a world where you, you're where you're nice, but it's it's sort of like the equivalent of, of unilaterally disarming during the Cold War, right? I mean, you may not want to use weapons. You may not want to have a nuclear war, but the way to avoid one is not by unilaterally disarming. It's by being strong and, and showing strength. And I think uh, that's the same principle with these guys. I'm all for schadenfreude anytime we can enjoy it. So, so what's the T-shirt? And I just, I just like to say it, too, that word. Is guns don't kill people. Alec Baldwin does. I forget what the, <laughs> but there are some pretty t-shirts out there. Right. If the worst thing that Alec Baldwin has to suffer is mockery, then he's living. He's getting off pretty cheap anyway. I mean, that guy mm -hmm. should be going to jail. Do you? I mean, do you have? You did some criminal law, Ed. I have done very little criminal law. I've done a little bit of criminal tax work, but otherwise, no, I haven't done criminal law. Because I'm, I'm curious, you know, you read different articles that say he has some exposure criminally, very little exposure criminally, lots of exposure criminally, maybe just civilly, et cetera. I mean, if I hand you a loaded gun and tell you it's not loaded, does that totally exonerate you? That interests me. Well, I mean, there's a crime called involuntary manslaughter, which it seems to me that he's got he's got all the elements of that. It's where you negligently kill another human being. And he he was clearly grossly negligent at, at a minimum in doing what he did. It reminds me of when I was a teenager. It was a famous story in my high school. The guys were driving to a baseball game in the old stadium in Baltimore. And the driver said, is there anybody on my right? And the guys in the back said, no. And he moved over and he hit somebody. And I don't know if it's exactly the same situation. One is trusting lay people. The other one is trusting, you know, people who supposedly it's their job to know better. But I, I really wonder, so you say involuntary manslaughter, is it negligent homicide? I mean, by definition, if you're killed by somebody, it's homicide, correct? Um. Well, homicide is murder. It, it involves an intent element. No, I don't think murder, at least maybe I watch TV. Man, man, you got manslaughter. Homicide doesn't necessarily mean murder. It just means someone else caused the death and then whether or not you're in any way liable for it. But that's my understanding of homicide. Okay. I'm, I, I, again, that's not my area of law. I'm not sure. I, Definitely I, my, not my area of law, but I mean, somebody else killed that person. So whether negligent or not, you know, you have DA supposedly saying he's not necessarily getting off scot-free. 
it's also interesting because we good people, we right away feel sorry for him. And like, maybe I'm not a good person, but at no point did I feel <laughs> any sorry for him. Seriously. But, yeah. And you'll I mean, notice, you'll notice who I love. Hard. EJS and who I don't. But what? you'll notice who I love having on EJS and who I don't. But I do hear it from people. Well, he may be a horrible this, and he may be a horrible that, but this is really, you got to feel sorry. And, you know, I've only gone shooting a few times in my life. And the only thing I came away with is these people are paranoid as heck. I mean, literally, you can't even look at the gun before they scream at you 10 times about what not to do. So was he just ignorant about guns? Was somebody around him ignorant about guns? You know what would make me feel a little sorry for him or, or start to feel some positive emotion for him? If he stood up and apologized for being such a jerk about guns for his whole life. And if he understood, and he said, you know what, I've talked a lot and I obviously didn't know what I was talking about. This was a mistake. Just because you make a mistake doesn't mean that you're, you're a murderer. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. Yeah. Um, you know, if he came but, out and, no. and, he, and he said mea culpa and took back all the crap that he did for the last 25 years, okay, then maybe I'll, I'll cut him some slack. But why is he making a movie that promotes using guns too he's polluting the cult in hollywood they all i mean it, it's not i mean obviously it's not just him it's throughout it's throughout hollywood and, and you know television and everything they they promote a gun culture if you will with the product that they put out all the time and so if these people had any principles at all they'd say well i'm not going to do that movie or that tv show because you're you know you're you're promoting gun usage and violence but they don't they don't do that you know it's just almost comical. Did anybody know other than the Brandon Lee case that you'd even have a gun with real bullets on the set? Yeah, I, I wouldn't. Have, I mean, I didn't know. I mean, why would they? I can't even figure out why they would. Is it that difficult to have a toy gun that makes a bang? I mean, with sound effects and stuff, I was pretty shocked. Yeah, I don't know. You, you would think that something like that just couldn't happen. I mean, they, how many, they would have some other way of firing a gun, you know, for a scene in a movie. <laughs> I mean, I know that as a reflex, when I'm with my sons and they have a gun nearby, they check that thing. I mean, it's almost OCD. Every time that thing passes from hand to hand, it's instinctive to check that that thing is empty. So clearly, we're not dealing with people who have that instinct whatsoever. It's more like, okay, hand me a gun, I'll shoot it. And then people who say never, ever, ever point a gun at anybody. I mean, that I learned as a little boy from my father. So, yeah. Well, one of the good memes I saw was that if he had taken one gun safety class from the NRA, he would, it would have never happened. It's too bad we don't have Ed Powell with us today, who's a lifetime member of the NRA. I'm sure he'd have a few choice words for Mr. Baldwin. Right. And, the, and the NRA are supposedly wusses when it comes to gun rights. Mm. So, and, and that poor lady, obviously. The other story, I know you guys were sharing the Ray Epps story. I don't know if anybody wants to explain it and go into it. It's a deeply troubling story. And you want to take it? I mean, it's a very detailed account of how the FBI almost, almost certainly had foreknowledge of what was going to happen on January 6th, but very likely was, a, was an instigator, if not an insider, uh, was a participant, if not an insider, of what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. 
Uh, and uh, Ray Epps is a guy that they chronicle through the article uh, as someone who is almost certainly a, an FBI agent who was going from Trump supporter to Trump supporter, trying to uh, gin up support for, for storming the Capitol. Most of the, most of the Trump supporters dismissed him and told him to get lost and said that he was crazy. Um, it also talked about how the, the president of the Oath Keepers was a, was good friends with, with that Ray Epps guy and, uh, that it was certainly possible, not just possible, but it, it was increasingly likely that, uh, both of them were, were FBI, if not FBI informants, maybe even FBI agents, um, and again, we're part of stirring up the problem, um, which, I mean, the real story is, was this, I mean, it wasn't an insurrection, but, you know, to the extent anything happened on January 6th, did the government actually do it itself and then use the, the chaos that ensued to increase its powers and go after its political opponents? I mean, in that sense, you know, I said it when it happened that it, this was a, a Reichstag, moment, Reichstag fire moment. It may well have been even more of a Reichstag fire moment than we than we realized at the time. You know, I'm watching again one of these Nazi series is where, you know, Hitler attacked Poland in retribution for Poland attacking Germany, supposedly. And that's even kind of worse than the Reichstag thing. It's like you literally attack yourself. And it's just the thought of this happening and the thought of these things being true, just like the Whitmer thing that was going on, that so many of those were supposedly FBI agents or, or informants or right. something. Right, the majority of them. This is beyond scary because to me, who struggles about being, you know, more of an anarchist or even not trusting anything the government has ever said, you know, it was JFK killed by, what's his name? I just, if they can lie about these things and these things are coming to light, and is there anything in the world that was ever true? And I just find that very scary. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I mean, I think it's also scary how much the big lie has, has succeeded. I mean, just earlier today, I was debating with a bunch of people that are just, they're convinced that there was an insurrection. Even and even when I showed them evidence that the FBI has said that there was no evidence of insurrection or sedition, they don't care. They think that it's just a, a, a done deal, that it's ancient history, and we all know that there was an insurrection. Um, and in that sense, it's achieved its purpose. Well, listen, we still have leftists uh, who believe in, in the Trump collusion, Russian collusion hoax, despite the fact of everything that we know about it at this point. So, and it's interesting because. Yeah. Discovery should technically allow all those people sitting in jail now for nine, 10 months to see all of the films, shouldn't it? Isn't that the way it's supposed to work? That's the way it's supposed to work. But they never will. I don't know if they ever will or not, um, but I think it shows the, the distinction between, you know, what rights you have on paper and what rights you wind up having in reality. And you know, not to, to keep beating the same drum, I, I fear that's the, the main goal of the digital currency when they eventually get to it. You know, you may have a right to, to have them not turn off your card, but if it accidentally gets turned off, you know, accidentally in scare quotes, 
what's going to happen? I mean, your, your right to get your, your access to your money to be able to find a lawyer and, and just to buy food in the interim, uh, you, you, may not have, you may not have the ability to do that, notwithstanding your right, the same way that these January 6th protesters have a right to discovery, they have a right to habeas corpus, a right to speedy trial. I mean, all their rights are being violated and, and you know, there's not a lot anybody can do about it right now. I mean, the, the ones that, you know, the ones that I've seen going to court, I mean, the judges are admonishing the, the, the prisoners. They're not admonishing the government for holding them. So you know, that's, so that's scary stories. to me. I mean, and just to, to put a, a bow on it, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I, I, you know, people invited me to go on January 6th. I'm glad that I chose not to. I didn't think it was going to be nearly so dangerous as it turned out to be, but you know, I you know, I certainly have the thought in my head that but for the grace of God, there go I. And you know, I I just you know I'm I'm grateful that I didn't go, but I mean it's it's scary when I think that I could have been, you know, you could have done the last ten months of shows without me. I might have been in some holding cell, you know, with all you know, or some solitary confinement cell all by myself. And I saw a headline on some story this morning about how attorneys ran to help out like Gitmo prisoners. Yep. They absolutely shy away from helping January 6th prisoners. There's another story out there that Michael Sussman's lawyers are trying to hurry up discovery in certain senses so that they don't have to wait so long for a speedy trial, quote unquote. But the January 6ers, I mean, where is the speedy trial for the January 6ers here in almost November? It's crazy. And, and I think that the reason I think that one of the reasons why the no one is rushing to, to represent them is because the disbarments of uh, the disbarment of Giuliani sent a message to the to the legal community that if you represent the wrong people, we're coming after you. It's, it's, again, this is beyond scary. I don't know if you guys saw the videos of that New Hampshire executive council meeting where they arrested nine people. Did you see that video? I did not. So I think we talked about that. That was a few weeks ago, right? A couple of weeks ago, when the executive council voted down the $27 million grant and Sununu sitting at that table texting people and coincidentally state troopers are walking around arresting people and taking them out of the room. And nobody I know who's seen the video can see any reason for why those people were taken out of that room under arrest. And that is beyond scary. These are people who may be horrible people, but they were sitting there quietly, clearly, and were taken out of that room and arrested. And again, where is the outcry? Are we just waiting for them to, you know, come for us last? When is that line? Or have we, we've lost The problem is, the the, the real problem is, if you're the only person who resists, you're just going to be thrown in with them. I mean, it needs to be a collective decision to 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 do a, a mass protest. I mean, we're not going to su- succeed if, you know, one at a time we decide, oh, this is the line. This is the line. And, you know, as they reach each individual line, you know, we object and they just say, OK, well, you too. And they'll arrest us. Right. It's going to have to be, you know, 30 million people or 50 million people saying, hell no. Right. Well, that's that, January 6th shut that down, too. I mean, to the to that point, when we were talking about schools in New Jersey and, and potentially mandating the vaccine on kids and pulling kids out, if thousands upon thousands of parents do that, there's strength in numbers. And I, I don't know how they're going to come after all of, 
all of those parents for that. But well, yeah, I mean, post-vaccine mandates and they're going to prevent you from buying food. They're going to prevent you, you and your husband from being able to get a job. I mean, that's what's that's what they're going to do. They're going to try and put the squeeze on us. I get it. But, you know, like you're saying, if you're doing it one by one, they're just going to pick us, pick us apart one by one. So it right, has to be it has to be. You can't organize for, for on people. Facebook and you can't organize on so many of these places. So how do you and the minute anybody pops his head up to organize anything, they can be arrested and thrown in jail for nine months and secluded and kept away from attorneys. Yeah, but you know what? I mean, you know, we started off earlier in the show. We were talking about Ted Cruz and what can he do? And, you know, the image that I've got in my head right now is how how the Soviet Union changed when Boris Yeltsin stood up on that tank. If you remember when they when they arrested uh, Gorbachev and they tried their coup and and Yeltsin, who was, I guess, the the mayor of Moscow at the time, he stood on the tank and said no. And he offered leadership. And I think that's really what we're what we're waiting for. Um, you know, we can try and generate leadership from from individual groups like we are. Uh, but in the end, that's going to be sort of like the old movie from the 80s, Wolverine uh, or no Red Dawn, Red Dawn. Um, and the Wolverine was the name that they that they used for their group. But um, we're not going to succeed. There's going to need to be some leader who has the courage to stand up and say, I'll take the heat and I'm going to stand on this movement and say no. Um, and, and really, you know, I hate, you know, I hate to keep banging this guy, but I mean, Trump is really the problem because Trump is not that guy. Trump is the guy who will get us revenge. Trump is the guy who will say things that nobody else will say. But in the end, Trump is just not the guy who's going to, who's going to stand up to, to the, to the left. And, and I mean, I guess he stands up to the left, but he's just, I mean, he endorses too many rhinos. He's too invested in his vaccine mandate or his 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 operation warp speed to oppose the vaccine mandates. I just don't I think that he's 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 in the way. And, you know, and it's it's sad and unfortunate because he did so much good. And even if he runs again and wins, he could still do so much good. But ultimately, he's just he's just in the way. And I just don't see that he's going to to take us where we need to go. All he can do really is buy us time. And, you know, I'm not even sure how much time he can buy us, but um, he's, he's, we, we need somebody else. We need somebody in our party who's able to basically go to the right of Trump and stand up to him and say, your position on man on vaccines is wrong and we oppose it. And you may have met well on operation warp speed, but it's time for you to shut up about it because you're doing harm to the country. We need a we need a Republican. We need somebody to stand up and say that. That's what we need to have. You know, I I, I shared this story. I know you said you didn't get a chance to see these stories. The Attorney General in Louisiana, you know, the, the headline is "Stands Up to Big Bank on Behalf of Gun Owners," and basically, the Attorney General. I'm trying to think if this is a woman or a man. Yeah, Republican Attorney General Jeff Landry, I'll assume that's a man, and he's basically saying if Chase is going to take its stand against guns, Louisiana is not going to do business with Chase, and there's billions and billions of dollars at stake in this. So you have, you know, individuals in certain states 
seemingly willing to say no. And is the salvation gonna come from these people not rising to national leadership or should I stay consistent and say, I don't really care about national leadership, at least if they can hold a state like this and have that kind of guts. I think it's a state and local issue. And I, I mean, I, I pointed out to you guys, Janice McEachin in, in Idaho, she's another tremendous Republican. That's the um, Lieutenant governor. She's the Lieutenant governor. Um, and she's done great things in the brief opportunities that she's had to actually do something more than talk. Um, we need somebody, we need people who are going to, who are going to do more than talk. We need people who are going to act and, and, and do something, um, whether it's the governor of Texas sending troops to the border or, um, I don't know. I mean, or, or somebody, you know, standing up to Trump and saying, uh, you're wrong on, on the vaccines and you need to shut up about it. Um, I'm not sure exactly all the issues, but I mean, COVID fascism is at the top of what we have to be fighting against right now, because that's what they're doing. That's what they're using to, to crush us right now. I think you're just I mean, trying to hawk the uh, Liberty Block book on Corona fascism. <laughs> I think Corona it's a book everybody should buy. Which, which, is, which is very much appreciated. So question, are you following the Steve Bannon contempt of Congress business? Um, only peripherally. I know I've talked to Ed Powell about it and he's followed it much more closely than I have. It's too bad he's not here with us today, but I followed a little bit. What's, I, mean, I have uh, this what very old memory of somebody in the Obama administration being held in contempt of Congress and laughing it off. Is this not the kind of the same thing? Hmm, I don't Eric remember. Holder, Eric Holder. Was it Eric? Was Eric Holder found in contempt of Congress? I believe so, and it was all a big joke, and the press yeah. just laughed it off. Ha ha ha! And now I think it's pretty much the exact scenario they're using to try and crucify Bannon. And I haven't yet heard people mentioning the Eric Holder thing. Like, is this a big deal or it's not a big deal? Well, depends which party you're in. Like everything else, and it, it again, it's so well, horrifically blatant. I mean, with Eric Holder. I mean, I, I vaguely remember it right now, but even just hearing you mention it, if I'm the attorney general and they hold me in contempt, I'm going to probably laugh too, unless they start impeachment proceedings, because that's the way they hold me accountable. They, first, they need to impeach me. And if they're not willing to impeach me, then I know it's just a show trial and it's just, it's just for show. Um, as far as Bannon goes, um, I know that he's a very wealthy individual and he has the means to fight. But um, they can still come after him. They can put him in jail. They can send the police out to get him and to arrest him. Uh, you know whether you know how you know. How, hopefully he's he's got a plan in place. If they you know put him in solitary the way they've done to the January sixth uh, rioters, but um, contempt of Congress can can have penalties if they if they try and enforce it. It's just a question of if they're going to enforce it. And it's interesting because, again, it's this one way street because Trump apparently keeps losing all of his executive privilege claims. Right. Which ones are you talking about? I mean, it's in the news a lot the last few weeks. He's they're going after some papers of his. I forget which lawsuit or which charges. And it keeps there's a story every other week that Biden is declining executive privilege to protect Trump's stuff. Apparently, the current president owns the executive privilege or something. 
But the point is, when they want to go after our side, everything on the side of the law is used. And when we want to go after their side, even if we try to use it, they just laugh it off. Yeah. Right. We need people on our side who are willing to fight instead of just look for talking points. Right. And supposedly that gets back to the, the Soros own all the DAs and all the attorney generals. And was that a smart investment on his part? I don't think I mean, he I'm sure he owns some of them, but I think the problem in, in large part is the Republican Party. The, the institutional structure of the Republican Party is that they, they, they are not, they're not willing to fight. They don't, you know, we talked about Cittarelli in New Jersey earlier. You know, he's, he agrees with Murphy more than he agrees with you and me. <laughs> and that's, that's just the truth. I, I totally, totally agree with you on that. And well, yeah. I think that's the case with a lot of these attorneys general and, and Republican legislators. That's, and even Republican governors. We've got states that, are, are deeply conservative, deeply red, that went for Trump Listen. in a big way, and th they won't do anything to stop what's going on. And Cittarelli went harder after Murphy about Trump's comments on Colin Powell than he, anything that Murphy has done. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, that's just the kind of example of how they just, they won't go after our real political enemies because they're really not their enemies. Right. So when when Elliot participated in that debate the other night about secession for New Hampshire, and one of his big arguments is we've been trying for many, many decades to change the federal government. And if we agree that salvation has not come from the Republican Party and the chances of a third party ever being anything are incredibly slim, then I think that kind of solidifies that argument. We're not changing Washington. There is no mechanism to change Washington. There's, there's no way to change it except for states to start really fighting back on every level. Right. Yep. Make America states again. It, you're not going to change the federal government. Ever. No, I think I think insofar as there's any fight to be had in Washington, it's to talk to the Ted Cruz's, the Josh Hawley's, the Jim Jordan's. There there are probably 10 or 20 people to talk to and one or more of them is going to need to stand up and and go put himself on the line and you know go down in history as either the person who saved our republic or you know risk being tarred as another insurrectionist we, we need as many heroes and leaders as possible let's face it and, and you know there's going to be fights you know locally on the state level and on the national level we we need as many people standing up for liberty as possible so, yeah, it's Ted, Ted Cruz needs to do more. Rand Paul, God love him. I mean, I think he's been great on, on a lot of things, but I think he could take more of a role. Um, so, you know, DeSantis, we need, we need more governors like DeSantis. God knows. But we need heroes wherever we can find them. Well, I can tell you that as I'm listening to what I'm saying and what you're saying, those people who signed that document way back when are really growing in my eyes. Those racist old white white men. Those dead white European yeah. males. Yeah, they weren't kidding. Yeah, because they were probably on a Zoom uh, podcast way back when, and they stood up. <laughs> they stepped up, and that it really is oh. unbelievable. I think we it's so easy to forget they did put it all on the line, and many of them didn't live to uh, 
Talk about it. Well, they were they were actually well educated and well versed on history, unlike most of our population today. So, but they had toxic mas- toxic masculinity mm-hmm. yeah. running through their veins. All right, I'm going to give everybody time to talk about the story. That is the stories that you wanted to talk about that I didn't give you a chance to talk about. Well, I don't know if I have a story per se, but I just wanted to give a shout out to Daniel Horowitz. I don't know if you follow him on social media or Facebook at all, but he's actually um, right now working with a group of doctors in order to connect people who want um, ivermectin. And I think there's another medication too that you could potentially get. He's linked to a website that you can sign up for and potentially uh, look to get it if you want to buy it. So again, we're looking for heroes and leaders. And I think Daniel Horowitz is one. Yeah, the other drug I think is niatamoxide or something like that. And the website- I wasn't about to try. (laughs) Is seven spelled out, not the number, but- S-E-V-E-N cells, C-E-L-L-S, seven cells.com, I think. Okay. Um, yep, you can go on his Facebook page and get the information. Yeah, I think I kind of introduced Harwitz to everybody in a sense, and I'm very, very disappointed in what he hasn't accomplished in the last year. He talks a lot about how nobody's helping him do anything, but refuses to let anybody help him do anything. And has accomplished awful little compared to what he said he wanted to accomplish, which I find to be a very, a very big disappointment, unfortunately, because um, he has very powerful airwaves and very powerful connections. And I believe he could have done a heck of a lot more. I'm not sure. So there's a story here about a surgeon who just lost his job for speaking against mask mandates. Now, how long do you think these doctors are going to survive working with Harwitz? Good question. Yeah, good question. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised his, honestly, I'm surprised his posts are still up on Facebook at this point because I expected them to be pulled down in about two seconds. I mean, if I'm a doctor and I've invested 13 <laughs> years of education and training um, and my kids need to go to college, again, we're asking for leaders, but this is their livelihood. This is their profession, their lives. I don't see any reason why state boards won't come after them because- they do it. This is very, very scary stuff. Oh, there was another big story I can't remember about a pharmacy, I forget which state, refusing to fill an ivermectin prescription. I think they got sued civilly for it. I have no idea what the grounds are or aren't. But I think it's in Minnesota. I think it was a Walmart pharmacy. Could be. Could be. I mean, again, when you stick your neck out, we all know what happens to it. So God bless these doctors if they're sticking together and doing it. I mean, who would even believe if I told you five years ago that a perfectly legitimate medicine would be banned a by governors and then by like pharmacies and medical associations that you can't prescribe a legal drug. The whole thing is just unbelievable. Yeah, but that's where you you have to question the motivation, right? Have you ever taken a prescription to a pharmacy and say, we can't fill this, it's illegal? It's just mind-boggling. Don't get between the patient and the doctor. I seem to remember something about that way back when. Yeah, I can tell you that there's there's a case, I'm working on some, some cases involving the vaccine mandates, and there's 
There's one case I'm not working on it, but um, South Carolina attorney is arguing that um, the mandates, not not the denial by the pharmacies of ivermectin, but that the mandates are the unauthorized practice of medicine. I'm not sure how good of an argument that is, but um, it's an interesting argument. It's you know I'm not sure it's a winner, but it, it's certainly interesting to see them bring it. That seems like a stretch, kind of interesting. Um, yeah. Well, even if it is, I question whether anyone other than the licensing board has standing to make that argument. I mean, maybe it's a, a means to go after, you know, a doctor who's had his license suspended. You can go after him. You know, the, the, the regulators can go after him. I'm not sure it gives rise to a private cause of action. Isn't practicing license without a medicine uh I'm practicing a license. <laughs> Whoa, practicing medicine without a license um, is a very short distance from assault the minute you touch somebody. Um, well, I mean, in medical malpractice cases, one of the causes of action is usually battery because it's an unconsented touching if you didn't give informed consent to something. Um, Forget about informed consent on these vaccines because even that... It, I would assume lawyers are pursuing that, aren't they? The informed consent aspect? Um, I mean, the argument is being raised, but I, I'm not sure, you know, what's the, you know, I'm not sure it's a winner. You well, know, considering you can't be informed consent when they're hiding so much data and lying about so much data, I would think that's a strong way to go. Well, the answer, see, the answer is that the FDA has approved it. And, and that shuts it all down. Well, and here's why it shuts it down, because if you're a conservative judge, you're not going to want to overrule the elected branches or, or the, you know, you know, the agencies are just executive part, they're branches of the executive government. Uh, they're por they're por parts of the executive branch of government. See, we're both tongue tied today. No, <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and the a conservative judge doesn't think it's the proper function of the judiciary to overrule the, the elected branches of government. And a leftist judge just doesn't care and is going to rule against you no matter what. So um, either way, you're going to, I think that's a losing argument, but what I else can I say? I remember a great legal scholar saying there's no such thing as Democrat judges and Republican judges. I don't know. I don't think that was me. <laughs> John Roberts, I believe. Oh, well, then I think it's understandable why I was confused by you saying legal scholar. <laughs> well, we did have hope for him way back when, I thought. Yeah, when we had hope for George W. Bush. Yeah. Another, another. Why was that misplaced? Yeah. All right. Anybody have anything else they'd like to talk about before we wrap up? Well, I'll say uh, I'll say I have two quick things. One, you know, related to George W. Bush, you know, Colin Powell did die this week. And, you know, I, I spoke privately to you guys about my little rant about him, but I'll, I'll let our viewers or our listeners hear it. Uh, to me, Colin Powell, what's that? We did talk about it last week. Oh, we did talk about it last week. We ended on it. I agreed with you. Oh, OK. I didn't remember that. So then I'll just go to my other story, which is. Uh, the Chinese government has apparently bailed out Evergrande, at least with a partial bailout. 
They were going to go into default last sun, last Saturday. Uh, they have uh, the rest of their notes. I think they have a big interest payment due on this coming Saturday. It still remains to be seen whether there's going to be a further bailout, but another uh, another uh, group, another property development group by the name of um, oh, what's the name land something I forget the name, uh, but it's another large entity that is on the verge of defaulting as well. Um, it appears that the Chinese government is making phone calls with helicopter Bernanke about how to how to solve financial crises by printing as much money as you need. Um, we already are suffering from inflation here. Um, and that's going to lead to further inflation. Uh, China will undoubtedly look to export it rather than keep it at home. Um, and but they're, they're starting to have some economic problems at home that they can't they may not be able to control. And it's it's a well throughout history, economic problems at home have often led great powers to to engage in war. And you know, I still am very concerned about an invasion of Taiwan being imminent. Um, I, I've, I've long thought it was going to happen next year anyway. Um, so you know, I think that's um, that's certainly a possibility. Uh, and the other story, the other story I'll, I'll bring to everyone, you know, uh, that we'll, we can discuss is um, the the proposal floated to to tax unrealized gains. Yeah, I was going to bring that up also. Yeah, um, I I think it's a foolishly unwise policy. I think that it technically complies with the Sixteenth Amendment, um, but it's it's a recipe for for destroying the capital of the country almost overnight. Um, and I think it's interesting that uh, Manchin has already said that that's a non-starter for him. Uh, whether cinema is willing to to go forward, we don't know. Uh, I think it's likely that those two are speaking for a whole bunch of others that are scared to take the heat. Um, and I think it's interesting that the Democrats always have people that are willing to speak up. Our side needs people willing to speak up. Um, but I think, I think that that's, that's a pretty outrageous proposal. And if it, if it does get snuck in, uh, God help us. I mean, that's, that's going to lead to some really bad economic dislocation in a very short period of time. Now, not to take up time about it because we're late, but my understanding is if your stock goes up, they can tax it, even though you haven't sold it. So when your stock goes down, they mail you a check. How does that work? Um, well, I don't know how the proposal is going to work, um, but uh, I, I doubt that they're going to let you take losses before you actually realize them. I think it'll just be a gains focus. <laughs> um, and and just, just to be clear, I mean, not only do I think it do I think it technically complies with the 16th Amendment, which allows Congress to levy taxes on all incomes wherever de from whatever source derived? Um, you know, it's arguable whether you have income if you don't have a realization event, but the reality is most businesses are forced to report income taxes on the accrual method of accounting, uh, which means that they may not receive the cash, but they still are gonna have to pay taxes. Um, even for individuals, there are things called zero coupon bonds where 
you know, you buy a bond that pays $1,000 in 20 years and you pay, you know, $600 for it today. And, you know, you just, you know, the interest is sort of built into the maturity price of the bond. And you still are required to report income all during the 20 years until it matures. So it's not unheard of for them to do things like that. Um, it would be unheard of to do it on the scale that they're proposing. Um, and, you know, to me, the reality is these people are looking to crash the economy. So I wouldn't put anything past them. Um, so you're not trusting them to only do this to the billionaires, I take it. Not only am I not trusting them to only do it to the billionaires, I, I, I don't trust Mansion and Cinema to, to hold the line during the lame duck session next year. I, I, I've long thought that even if we hold the line to the midterm election next November, which is right now, I guess, what, about 53 weeks away, um, even if we make it, and even if we were to win veto-proof majorities, the Democrats would still have about, you know, from November to January 3rd is going to be about eight weeks. They can ram whatever they want through during that lame duck session, and they're going to know that there's, you know, they've already lost. You know, there's going to be a lot of people that are, will have lost, and I, you know, there won't be any penalty for them to pay, any price for them to pay because they'll have already lost. They're going to be going home anyway. So, I mean, not, it won't be Mansion and Cinema there. I think Cinema, I know, is up in 2024. And I think Mansion is Mansion's not up in 22. He's either up in 24 or, 20, or uh, 24 or 26. I'm not sure. But um, we'll see. Well, oh, to end on a hopeful note, huh? Sorry. Well, hope can, and change, hope and change. You can at least wish me and Mike to be billionaires so we can have the problem. I certainly hope to get a ride on each of your yachts. Okie dokie. All right, with that, we'll close off for today. We hope to be back next week at regular time and with a full complement of people. Again, hopefully Jody's back with us and Ed P had some technical difficulties today. So he was not with us. With come that, back, Jody, and come back, Ed. We miss you. Come back. Okay. Have a wonderful evening, folks. Thanks. All right, guys. Thanks, everybody.